Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, Where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and his brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went out among the villages teaching, and he called the twelve and began to teach and send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey, except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If there is any place that will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should, should, should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Let's pray. Word and words, O oh God. May you, the living word, Open our eyes to the words you have for us. And may we realize and see a new way to be a family. Amen. So our younger adult class, which has been meeting on Sunday mornings and is now meeting as a small group in homes, has been studying the book of Mark for some time. We've been talking about how this is an oral and aural gospel. So it was meant to be told and it was meant to be heard. And one of the things that we keep asking ourselves is, what is the message in this gospel? What is the good news? Who is this Jesus and what is his kingdom? In the narrative of Mark, we find again and again people are asking, who is this man? And in the passage today, we hear it once again. This passage comes in a collection of accounts that follow the parables back in Mark 4. These parables talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out and sows. The kingdom of God is like a light hid under a basket. The kingdom of God is like a seed. And then these acts that follow it 
are to help us figure out who is this Jesus as king? What does he mean as king? What is this kingdom he talks about? So we hear of Jesus calming the storm as it tosses the disciples back and forth. Who is this king that has power to calm the waves and the wind? We then hear of him casting out a demon from the Gerasian man. Who is this that has power and authority over even spirits? And then as we heard last week, the story of the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, that just with a touch he heals, and then Jairus' daughter, who he calls back from the dead. Who is this man who has power over life and law? Who is this man who can restore purity and vitality to people? We look to these stories and ask, who is this king? And what is his kingdom all about? Today we find a story of homecoming. Jesus, who has been traveling and teaching and showing his power, now comes to his hometown. And as any rabbi or teacher would on the Sabbath, goes to the synagogue and begins to teach. The people of his hometown are amazed. You can hear their wonder growing. Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What power and deeds does he do? You see, they'd probably heard the stories of Jesus. And just before, probably the echoes of the raising of the dead are coming to them. They hear his message, and they hear it as one of hope and healing. In the Lucan version of the story, we hear what Jesus is preaching about. He unrolls the scroll in the temple and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But unlike in Luke, where this passage comes early on, before Jesus has done any miracles or works of power, in Mark, his preaching aligns with his works. They've heard the stories of his deeds to back up this proclamation. And the text says that they were astounded. I can imagine being there. Is this message for us too? Has he come to work miracles among us? To release our captives? To heal our blind? To free our oppressed? Are these words for us? But then a voice comes from the crowd. Wait! I know this man. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Are not his brothers and his sisters here with us? This is no plain observation, but an accusation. Isn't this just the day laborer? The one who should, be, should have been a carpenter, but dropped his role and left his job. The accuser isn't just identifying who Jesus is or what he has done. 
but these words tell a story. You'll notice that there's no mention of Joseph. Instead, Jesus is called out as the bastard child of Mary. And who, hearing from the text, is most likely widowed? Her oldest son has left her. He should have been the one to provide for her, to work and make sure she had all she needed. The emphasis on naming the siblings who are still there among them makes clear that they have been stuck with this burden. Where are his younger siblings to tell us how he abandoned his mother, how he left his job as a carpenter? Where are they to show us that he has no education, no authority to be here teaching among us? Where are they to tell us of his faults? We hear the murmurs of the crowd, the recollection of who this man is, the doubt in his teaching and ability billows into the room like thunderclouds. And then the lightning of, of offense. They resent him. He has hurt a family in this town by abandoning them. And now he claims to bring healing and help for the oppressed. Yet he's deserted his own mother. And then we learn from the text that their disbelief, their offense and rejection, renders him powerless. And he could do no deed of power there. If this story is supposed to tell us what the kingdom of God is like and who King Jesus is and what power is, it feels like something's missing. These stories are difficult to hear when the world is as chaotic as ours, when there is violence and hatred and disease and death. We often want a God who is powerful, who can come down and overcome all of it. But what do we do with stories like this? What do we do when Jesus does no deeds of power? What does this say about our king and his kingdom? It's disheartening. It's even scary. I wrestle with it. But maybe, maybe this is an ideal display of power to teach us what the kingdom is really like. My faith journey has always been tied to the idea of creation. The creation of the cosmos, the creation of all that is around us, and the creation of us. This fascination may partially be from my parents, who when we would take vacations as a child, we didn't go to amusement parks, but we went to wildlife preserves, where the educators at Texas Parks and Wildlife taught us about the adaptations and the way that Animals had evolved to survive in distinct ecosystems. We went and we dug in the fossils and looked at the stratas and the layers of the earth and the records there. So you can imagine my shock when as a sixth grader at a private Christian school, I was taught to be a Christian, you must believe in a literal six-day creation account. You cannot believe in evolution and be a Christian. I struggled. 
How am I supposed to reconcile this together? And many of you may have fought that struggle as well. But for me, it had a deeper implication. If God created us just as, with a desire to love God already there, or even programmed us to love a creator, is it really love? Is love truly love without a real choice? Is there something within us that, if there is something that within us that hungers for a deep relationship to a creator, and it was put there by that very creator, is it all just for show? I can program a robot to love me, but is it genuine? And apply that to a living being, is it just coercion? But if God set the cosmos in motion, sparked creation and let it evolve, would it be different? If humankind developed and even co-created with God, and then the desire to know our creator, the desire to love, came from that, wouldn't that be so much more real? It's not a coercion of something powerful saying, here, make this choice, but really, I've made you to already make it. Instead, it is something more powerful, the withholding of power, letting love develop on its own. I could love a God like that, literally could. I have a choice of my own to make, and this is the love that saved me, a love of free will, a love that has captivated me over and over again. This is a love that is displayed on, by Jesus on the cross. Love so powerful that it doesn't act coercively. Instead, it gives freedom to the one that it offers the love to. Freedom to love back, but also freedom to reject. Freedom to be offended. This is the power displayed in this story today. A love that does not coerce and in power make them accept his teaching. But instead, it's a love that invites and leaves open room for offense and rejection. The kingdom of God is like this, an offering of love and power with the true option to say no. King Jesus isn't like a worldly king at all. Instead, his non-coercive love makes him kin. He is family, offering unconditional love to us all. You may have noticed that often when I pray and I speak of the kingdom, I say kingdom. This isn't a mispronunciation or an error, but instead I do it on purpose to reflect the message of Christ that has touched me so deeply. The kingdom of God is an ever-expanding family, a family of choice. 
The passages that I described earlier, the acts of power that are leading up to this passage today, are sandwiched between the story of Jesus' family here and another story of Jesus' family. It is the one where Jesus is teaching and his mother and his brothers come and they send word inside and say, your mother and brothers are here looking for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and brothers? Here, pointing to the crowds around him, he says, here are my, mo- my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my family. The message of Jesus' kinship and the revealing of the kingdom starts with a story reminding us that this kingdom is one of choice, a choice we make with our actions and a choice we don't have to make alone. The story in our reading continues with the sending out of the disciples. We see that they are sent out together, two by two on their journey. The love of God requires partnership. Remember that idea of co-creation? God partners with us to love the world. Jesus partners with the disciples and sends them out with the same authority of power. A power that is displayed by giving freedom of choice. They're instructed that if a place will not welcome you, if they refuse to hear you, then go on your way and knock the dust from your sandals. It does not say, do more acts of power, perform more miracles, proclaim the message again. Instead, it says, leave with a ritual that makes them see that you heard their choice. But the kingdom is not just one that is displayed by offering invitation and choice. It's an ever-expanding family. Do you have a family of choice? Some people or friends in your life that you consider closer than maybe your own biological, adoptive, or lawful relatives? My dad has a brother by choice. This was a term I heard all growing up for who I called Uncle Ken. I remember sharing life with him and his family and hearing stories about their often unwise adventures as younger men. But their relationships, their relationship was solidified through hospitality and by coming together in times of need. More recently, they were out on a guided trip up in the mountains of Colorado. And the higher they got with altitude, my father started to not feel so well. And that night, there was a weight on his chest that got worse and worse until he thought he couldn't breathe. So Ken got him in the truck, and as soon as they got cell phone service, he called the nearest medical center. And they said, oh, that sounds like pulmonary edema, where your lungs start filling up with fluid, and it's made worse with altitude. So Ken, not stopping at that medical center, pushed it into higher gear and rushed him down the mountain to lower altitude. That's what family of choice is like. Going the extra effort, being there for each other, knowing you can call on them. The love that the disciples are called to give is also a love that they are called to receive. 
Remember, Jesus ordered them, take nothing on your journey, no food, no bag, no money. They're not to wear good, sturdy shoes, but just simple sandals, and don't take any extra clothes. Just wear one tunic. He said you have to rely on people. You have to be in need so that you can find this family. This teaching is a difficult one for us, where we're taught to always be prepared, to not talk about our struggles openly, I wonder, is there any real mystery about why payday lenders hold poor people in such grips when we're taught that we shouldn't talk about our struggles? But Jesus is telling the disciples to make themselves vulnerable, to ask for help and the hospitality that they need. Over the past few years, few years, I've heard stories about you, McLean Baptist. Stories of people who needed money for a medical procedure and it was given. Stories of people reaching out and paying for bills when someone lost their job. Stories of people opening their homes for families to come and live in them. Stories of giving rides and sharing meals. Stories of just being there for each other. These are the stories that you tell when you talk about the church really being the church together. These are moments when the kingdom of God is present and real. But to have moments like this, we have to be vulnerable. We have to leave behind, like the disciples, our clothes that let us close off and act like everything's okay. We have to leave behind the sturdy shoes of a smile when people ask how our lives really are. We can't walk this path alone. We can't eat our meals in solitude to hide what's going on. We have to show our need to each other. So what is it you're hiding from your kin here at McLean Baptist Church? Is it a diagnosis that's too heavy to share a broken relationship that you feel is just too personal to let others know about? Is it the weight of parenthood or the anxieties of your work? Or is it a financial burden that you have shame around? We're called to be kin. We're called to be part of a kingdom. Jesus calls us all as disciples to show our vulnerabilities and hurts. We're called the kingdom by our circumstances, but also by responding to others. Not in a show of power, as in I know what's right for you, but as an offer of love and hospitality in the footsteps of Jesus, who came not as a king in a worldly sense, but as our kin, inviting us into family. Amen.